Welcome to episode 550 of Troubadours and Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. On this week's episode, we feature a wonderful conversation with American historian, author, and dance critic for The New Yorker magazine, Jennifer Homans. We talk with Jennifer from her place in New York City about watching George Balanchine perform, a history of ballet, an avant-garde Russian artist, ideas of eroticism, the human form deformed by war, the edge of chaos, Stravinsky, Matisse, Picasso, socialist realism, the floor on which we dance, writing about dance, how dancers are absorbers, and the importance and value of art, among other things. A wonderful conversation with Jennifer Homans this go-round. We also have an EW poetic piece called Lost Soul, and another called The Tolls. All of this, of course, will be infused, imbued with the wonderful energy of several great tunes. It is so nice to be with you. Let's get to it then. Episode 550 of Troubadours and Rockon Tours. Everything is 
sad Everybody's getting fat Except Mama Cast Today, yes, through escapism, vis-a-vis cannabis, with the day and night sky fronting my solace and an absolute alibi, pecan pie with blueberry sauce and candlelight to toss off the living room walls. How does this end? Can I continue to pretend until all of this stalls
Hello. Hello. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Jennifer Holmans, is that you? That is me. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you perfectly. Yes. Thanks. Thank you so much for being on Troubadours and Rock on Tours. I am very happy to be with you today. Before we get started, let me share a little background information for our listeners. Jennifer Homans is an American historian and the author of Apollo's Angels, a history of ballet, published in 2010. Named one of the 10 best books of the year by the New York Times and a finalist for the National Book Critics Circle Award. Ms. Homans is currently dance critic and contributing writer for the New Yorker magazine and the founder and director of the Center for Ballet and the Arts at New York University, where she is also a distinguished scholar-in-residence. Jennifer was named a fellow of the American Academy of Arts and Sciences in 2021. Ms. Homans holds a Ph.D. in modern European history and is the recipient of Guggenheim, Coleman Center, and NEH fellowships. Jennifer's latest book, Mr. B., George Balanchine's 20th Century, was released in 2022 and was a finalist for the Pulitzer Prize and the National Book Critics Circle Award. Troubadours and Rock on Tours is very happy to have on the program Jennifer Homans. Again, thank you for taking time out of your schedule. I am so happy to be here today. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. I'm really looking forward to it. And uh, let's just get right in. Uh, Tell us a bit, if you would, about your journey from dancer to historian, biographer, and teacher. Yeah, my it's it's so so you want to know about the story of my life? <laughs> yeah, yeah, in a few words, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it began I I think as a dancer. I I was a dancer in, in my uh, teenage and early twenties, um, and I danced professionally. I was trained at the Balanchine School, so I had a moment um, of seeing George Balanchine work and of being present for his dances in the years just before his death in 1983. So that was kind of a really formative experience for me. After I stopped dancing, I did PhD in modern European history and became a historian. I thought, oh, I'll leave all that behind. But it just wouldn't go away. And it was it was such a passion. It had really possessed me. So I turned my attention as a historian back onto the art that I had performed. And um, this is the second book I've, I've written about it. And, you know, when when you uh, try to recall those times back in the 80s when you were witnessing uh, George Balanchine dance, was it almost surreal in a way? Did you have a sense at that point I'm sure you did, but I'm just curious as to how you perceived him. Did you have a sense that he was great at that point? I knew he was great. Yes, of course. I knew he was great. All you had to do was go to the theater at at one night and see the company perform to know that this was um, just a man who could fill you in an evening with with the the, the sort of good feeling of being alive and, you know, and it wasn't just him; it was his dancers, of course, and they were an integral, integral part of his his art form. So, you know, the story of his life turned out to be as much a story of them as it did 
of him. But yeah, I knew when I saw him that he was he was that was established at the time. But you know, I was you know a teenager. I I was just I just wanted to dance. I had no idea I would go on to do something like this. I was just focused on you know how many pirouettes I could do and whether I could manage to make my way into the New York City Ballet. <laughs> right. And you were living in New York City. Is that where you were born and raised? No, I was born and raised in Chicago. And so I, uh, I had moved to New York to dance. And how old were you then? Were you out of high school was, yet? No, I was not. I did high school by correspondence sitting in my leotard and tights in the School of American Ballet wow. <laughs> in a little little corner writing essays about Emily Dickinson while I, in between classes. Well, you know, that sounds so familiar. My, I have a son who's 15 who's doing the same thing, but he's at the Rock School of Dance in Philadelphia, you know, as a sophomore and year-round dance study and the correspondence school is the way he's getting his high school education with his peers and uh, at, the da- at the Rock School. Yeah, it's it's you know it's an art form that 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 requires youth, and so there we were, right? All all of us young, like your son, and um, you know I was always very I sort of always had one foot in the in the academic world in the academy and reading and books. I was always that dancer who had a book with me. Um, my father was a professor, so I, I came from that world. It wasn't unfamiliar to me. It, the dance world was, was what was unfamiliar to me. And do you live in New York City now? I know you write for The New Yorker. Um, yes, I do live in New York, and I teach at NYU. So right. I, I, live, I live here. I've been here a long time. That's great. That's great. Uh, very vibrant place and, and definitely one of the main cities in the world for dance. So it's, it must be really enjoyable for you to be there. Um, it's, it's endlessly interesting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so when we talk about Mr. Balanchine, how important to modern dance would you say he is? I mean, you could even go down. You are an historian. You know, don't you won't bore us. We love this kind of stuff. You can give us a brief history of, of ballet, if you like, and bring it to George Balanchine and how he has changed it. Yeah, I mean, look, you know, um, maybe the way to address that question is really to say that it's, you know, ballet began in the in the Renaissance um, and was codified in the court of Louis the Fourteenth. So, if you think of you know the those sort of period type pieces and the 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 idea of a classical form that is that is symmetrical, that is balanced, that has um, a, a, an etiquette to it, and in, indeed a very aristocratic etiquette in the case of, of ballet. Um, it, it really was the way people moved in the court and in their lives. And then it was elevated and codified into a, a form, which then after, you know, a, a couple of centuries had changed dramatically, but kept the core symmetry, balance, um, and this aristocratic sort of overlay. Uh, and, you know, that's where you get ballets like Swan Lake and Sleeping Beauty and the, the Russian ballet, which which took up the French ballet and and um, made it Russian. And that's where Balanchine comes in. You know, he was born into that. So he learned the ballet from that very um, classical uh, heritage. 
what he ended up doing is he was really a, an avant-garde radical artist who uh, was a child during the Russian Revolution and came of age during the, the revolutionary years when people in art were trying to remake the world through art and to make everything progressive, as he always put it, to move on. They were interested in eroticism, in revealing the human form, in ideas of abstraction, in um, just just a, a sort of, you know, abs um, expressionism. All of the things you think of coming out of Russia and out of Europe, where he emigrated in 1924, fleeing the USSR, were, were things that he absorbed. And so what he did in the end, by the time he was in New York in 1933 until his death in 1983, he had basically a project to change this symmetrical, balanced form and take it off balance into a spherical, uh, four-dimensional, as he liked to put it, realm, to the problem that he faced really was that he had seen the human form destroyed by war and revolution and the 20th century. Mm. So how are you gonna make a dance that is symmetrical and beautiful and aligned? You can't. You can't do that in the 20th century. So he, he, he had to redesign the way people moved. And, and that off-balance um, sort of speed and an art form that never wanted you to stop, always wanted you to go, because if you weren't going, you would fall, and the whole thing could collapse. So there's a sense in which the body is always living at the edge of chaos. And it's only through the technique and form that you hold your body and your world together. Wow. <laughs> I love so that. So that's an important, you know, he did for dance what, um, you know, Schoenberg did for music. And, right. And, and, um, what, and what Stravinsky did for music. Stravinsky was one of his, his main collaborators, and that was why. Um, and what Picasso and Matisse and, you know, and, and the abstract expressionists did for art. So was, uh, was he, um, sort of in the fray of, of the, of political movements or did he just do it all through his art? Um, you know, he was a, he was not a white Russian because he was not from a wealthy family. His family was, um, his father's side of the family was Georgian and quite, you know, from a, from a peasant background that sort of rose up through the church. So he was not a white Russian, um, but he, he was a cold warrior. His childhood had been destroyed by the revolution, even if his art had also been nourished and made by its um, revolutionary movements, artistic movements. But his politics was very, very um, sort of Eisenhower Republican in a way. I mean, mm. he, he just was a real, the Soviet Union was the devil for him, just the thing that could destroy human creativity and freedom. Yeah, I think he was right. <laughs> <laughs> he positioned himself very much um, against the both the Soviet Union and the artistic developments of socialist realism within the USSR. 
his art was going to be the opposite of that. And socialist realism, that would, how would you, how would you clarify that? So, you know, the idea that you would, that, um, that an, uh, an, an art like dance, which is an art of the body, of course, and of music and, and of scenery and design, the Soviets were very interested in, in keeping the old classical forms, but sort of like, you know, old um, new wine and old bottles. They wanted to fill those classical forms with stories of, of revolutionary success. So mm. stories of workers and of building the, the socialist paradise and, um, you know, love stories too, but only the ones that sort of fit that paradigm. Um, but Balanchine was interested in the human form by itself, mm. not the story, because he said, you know, there's a story when a, you know, a man and a woman or two women or two men walk onto the stage, there's a story already there. And he was interested in the musical forms, um, the way that music would give life to a human body. And his, his dances were tied very closely to music. He called music the floor on which we dance. So he, he, he made, he had a huge range. So he made, you know, big, big story ballets like Don Quixote mm -hmm. and the Nutcracker and things like this. But he, he's best known for stripping the stage of scenery, stripping the costumes down to a, uh, a practice clothes, leotard and tights, and showing the body moving to music without a story and without all of that um, fancy dress, costuming, and and sets that would come in a in a most Soviet dances. So very so abstraction, really. The body is an abstract right. form, but but when I say abstraction, I don't mean unemotional. Very emotional dances, powerful dances of love, and but but they're not telling lo about love through a story. They're telling about love through music and movement. Yeah, that's and and that is is. Do you think something difficult to um, sort of? connect with an audience through that approach is that a, is that a big challenge since there's no there aren't any clear words and narrative and and all the you know the the bells and whistles to manipulate yeah you know you you you, you might think that right and i can understand that 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 feeling i, I often have people say to me I, I i won't know what to to if I go to the ballet, I won't know what to think. I just don't know enough about it, and I need something to hold on to. But the fact is, we all have a human body. <laughs> we all live in our bodies, and you know, when you go to the dance, it's right there in front of you, and that's what he was presenting. You you didn't have to know. You you just had to live it, and the dancers carried you through it. So. It, it wasn't, it was in fact, I would say more accessible. But the other thing I, I think that should be said is that he also taught audiences. He had a very devoted audience in New York. And this is, um, and, you know, gradually around the world, but New York was the base. And he really taught audiences how to watch dance hmm. and how to watch his dance. And he did it by giving them, you know, some hard stuff and some some easy stuff. He liked to talk about it as 
uh, uh, like a meal, like planning a meal. You know, you've got a an appetizer, not so hard, a main course. Okay, now you're really into it. And then maybe a dessert, <laughs> something light, <laughs> something fun, something that you can walk away with, you know, feeling good. Um, not always like that, but that's sort of one of the ways he thought about the question you asked. Well, you know, I... I remember the first time I witnessed ballet as a, as a child, elementary school, uh, school field trip to the local ballet group who performed for us. And I was, I didn't, you know, nothing was explained to me. I just sat there and I was, I remember, totally mesmerized and taken by it. I, I It definitely affected me, you know, and I, I really have, I, I'm not an expert at all. I usually don't know what the heck is going on, but I don't need to. This is a visceral sort of reaction that I get when I go. Uh, sometimes I don't even like to know what's, you know, necessarily what the story is. I want to try to figure it out, maybe after the fact, read and see if how close I was to interpreting it. Same with opera. Oftentimes I'll go to see an opera or listen to an opera. I don't understand the language, but it doesn't matter. Something still connects. I think a lot of people maybe experience it that way if they or they could if they if one would allow themselves to. Yeah, I think that's right. And it's 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 this idea of these I wonder if you agree, you know, of of, of an art form that is really very sensual. Mm-hmm. It's very sensual. So, you know, it's very immediate in that sense. And it it it's sensual, it can be erotic, it can be um mysterious. But it, it's, it is right there before you, and it's not about words. So it's kind of, you know, you, it's things that words can't express. Exactly. Well said. Talking to Jennifer Hummins. Am I pronouncing your last name correctly? You are. Oh, good. I thought so. Just wanted to be sure. And uh, she is, among other things, an American historian, author, dance critic, educator, I want to ask you about, it's kind of in, in line with what we're, we're discussing now, what are some of the challenges of writing about dance when, when you're critiquing, when you're writing pieces uh, for The New Yorker? What, what, uh, how, how difficult is it, or is it not so difficult? You know, it's, uh, the challenge of writing about dance really has to do with what we were just talking about, about, about you know, dan- if dance says something, that words can't express, then how do you express it in words? Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's really an act of translation. And I see it as a, and I've come to this over years of trying to capture it on the page. It's, you know, what you write about when you, when you write about it is, is, is not the thing itself. It's some kind of translated form of it into words. And for me, the idea is to sort of, and this part, it really does help that I was a dancer, I think, you know, to sort of go into the dance physically myself and try to un- understand as I'm watching it, try to understand, you know, what are the ideas here? How can I articulate? What are the ideas? Because I think the history of dance is really the history of ideas. Um, and you, you can see, say that about criticism, too. Or at least that's how I like to approach criticism. It's not so much for me, you know, is it is it good, up, is it bad, down? You know, I'm not just saying, you know, like, oh, I liked it, I didn't like it. I'm trying to understand what are they doing? What are they trying to do? Are they succeeding? Am I moved? Why? 
you know, who's on the stage? It's like a little society on the stage. It's a, it's a whole group of people who are interacting together. What is this little society and how are they living? I love it. You know, I recently asked a similar question to, uh, you probably know this gentleman, Peter Marks. He's the theater critic at the Washington Post. Uh, how he goes about writing his reviews on pieces and he says it starts in the gut, you know. Does he mm-hmm. does he mm-hmm. feel something, and then he tries to figure out why he does. Yeah, basically. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. That's a, you know, because you have to be always, and it's not hard if you love the art form. And you know, I don't just review ballet. I talk. I I, I love all kinds of dance, um, and I don't always love what I see. That's mm-hmm. for sure. But um, but I'm. But at the moment when the curtain goes up or the lights go up or whatever it is in whatever space you're in, um, you know, you have to have that kind of, I think what he's talking about, you know, that openness, that expectation, that um, what, what one choreographer once said, you know, was they, like, they want to like it. Mm. You want to like it. You, you, you really are open to it. Mm, I like that. So when you are out and about, checking out all these wonderful shows, or mostly uh, wonderful shows. I'm sure there are a few duds here and there. Who are you finding to be the most interesting groups right now, choreographers and dancers today? Oh, you know, I mean, I think like so many things in our in our cultural world um, these days, the dance world is um, at a moment of, of it, it's... It's hard to describe it in in a kind of holistic way because it's quite fragmented and it has various different parts and people are are working in very different idioms and you know now with the advent of a lot of um, technology entering the art form as well and I'm sure AI is going to have this effect. Um, it's going to just exempt, um, amplify this effect. You think? I, I would say there's all kinds of interesting work and 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 it, it's not like you it, it's not the moment of there are these five great choreographers who are like Balanchine, Robbins, uh, Cunningham, Graham, uh, Taylor, you know, in the 20th century, you could kind of name them all. And most people would agree with you. But now it's much more diffuse and um, and porous as a moment. How about uh, dancers? Well, dancers are always good. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> my experience is that you know people love to dance. People dance, and the technique changes, but the, the ways in which the technique changes it tells you something about who they are and the moments they live in. You know. If you if you dance the way they did in the court of Louis the Fourteenth, well, that's kind of who you are, right? Um, but people don't dance like that anymore because that's not who they are. I mean, dancers are young, usually, not always, but but they're whether they're young or old, they live now, so they have all the you know they come with all the habits of people who live now. Everybody knows, you know, you, you, I, I don't know if you have this experience ever, but I mean, even if I see someone walking down the street, if I can't see their face, I can tell who it is. Yeah. I know who it is by how they walk. Sometimes I know who it is by just looking at their feet. Definitely. You know? Yeah, I know so what you're talking everybody about. everybody has, you know, you have something that all that informs a performance. 
Well, I guess I'm trying to fit it into the pop culture mentality, you know, like who who are the quote unquote rock stars of dance right now? I mean, yeah, you want me to name people? No, you don't need to. I, 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 if you don't want to, you don't, I don't need to. I think, you know, I mean, there are some some very, very good, talented choreographers, for example, Alexei Rentmansky uh, in the ballet world or... You know, I'm interested in, in Indian dance as well. There's some interesting people working in Indian dance right now. I'm interested in flamenco. There's uh, interesting people in flamenco. So, you know, it's it's not, you know, and especially when in the 20th century and especially in the second part of the 20th century, you know, ballet was a big deal because it was a Cold War thing. And you had, you know, Baryshnikov and Makarova. You had these defections and you had this drama around mm-hmm. around ballet, which was, a, which was an artistic drama, but also a political drama. Lines around the corner, you know, around the block to see the, the great Bolshoi ballet and compare it to what you had here in America. And, uh, uh, so, you know, but it's different now. It's not that. It's not that anymore. So we don't, you know, we we have great dancers, but I doubt many of them are household names the way Barishnikov was. Right, right. Barishnikov, he was he was a rock star, really, a movie star. He, he total he, rock yeah, star. Yeah. 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 Interesting. And captured um, all of that. You know, the politics, the culture, the the sexuality, the everything was was there with him. For sure. For sure, you know, it's it's interesting too. From my perspective, my experience having a, a son who's a dancer, the, you know, his school, public school that he went to before he went away to the rock school, he he was bullied because he was a dancer, you know, mm-hmm. and he, he he's not a flamboyant person, you know, that gets a lot of draws a lot of attention to himself. They just found out he was a dancer, and it was very strange for him and for me to to experience that that like why why is that what's different about that as compared to playing baseball or or you know being in you know home ec i don't it was weird though the mentality yeah it's interesting isn't it i'm uh, sorry to hear that's still the case i i'm not surprised i mean it's just a kind of um I mean, I don't really have an explanation for it, except the obvious explanations, but, you know, but I do think the dance world has always been a a place where there's a lot of um, openness and, and to use a contemporary word, fluidity. And so, you know, it's a place where, I mean, all of, all of that sort of go, anything goes. And that's a good thing. It's a good thing. It's great. And it's why a lot of people that have been in sort of worlds of art and alternative identities and different kinds of sexual preferences and all of this are attracted to the dance world, have been from the beginning. And so, you know, there's something about that in the culture that makes it a bit of a of a, a hot spot scary for, for people, I suppose. For people. <laughs> yeah I, I think so it's it's strange i should embrace it it's beautiful it's wonderful and uh, the reason i i mentioned that about my son nico i'll give uh, i'll let you know his name he's a cool kid is whenever he was feeling that way and i'm, I'm i don't know what his sexual orientation is I, I think he's heterosexual i don't know whatever it doesn't matter to me as long as he's happy right but I I think he was concerned that 
folks didn't think he was, you know, uh, enough of a uh, of a man or a boy. And I'd always say, well, what about Barishnikov? Man, yeah, what about- Jacques Amboise, Eddie Valella. I mean, this this road has been traveled by by many before him, and they've experienced some of the same feelings, and they've fought against them. I, you know, I think we're in a bit of a conservative moment in that regard. Um, you know, there's there seems to be a, a, at least vis-a-vis the the dance world. There's a, there's a kind of resurgence of these fears and worries. And well, you heard about that dancer in New York City a few months back, right? The young man who was beaten at a, at a gas station. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did see that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, be, yeah, be, yeah, yeah, terrible. That, that was heartbreaking. Yeah, but ah, we won't stay here too much. But it, it's something I wanted to bring up. I wanted to know what you thought of it. And I guess talking about Barishnikov triggered it in my head because. I use him as a positive example for anybody who feels that, you know, they should question what it means to be, if you are a a male, you know, you could be whatever you want. But if someone's saying you can't be a real quote unquote, and I know all these terms are silliness, but it's still our culture. You're not a real guy if you dance. Well, you know, what about this famous, unbelievably masculine, beautiful artist who danced Barishnikov? That's, and that's what triggered it, I think, in me. So thanks for indulging me. I appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Um, now, what about how the pandemic has changed dance? Is it having the same sort of issues as as theaters are uh, are having with regard to bringing audiences back and such. Oh yeah, I mean dance is is the the ultimate in person physical form, and yet during the pandemic, artists started to do what artists do. You know, they they couldn't do that, so they did something else, and they started putting dances on Zoom and on film and experimenting with different. So I mean. I think we don't know where it's all going to go, and I think the, the the technology is being, you know, the technology is starting to become part of our bodies, and that will be true for dancers as well as for the rest of us, of course. Um, and they'll make something of it. So I think we're 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 sort of watching and seeing. Is there an economic, you know, sort of? major concern regarding being able to continue to fund some of the major um, dance schools, dance uh, theaters and I such? I mean, look, I think it's the same problem that, you know, classical music is facing. It's a similar kind of dynamic, you know, older audiences and people trying to open things up to young people and to compete with the the the, um, the incredible array of, of devices and social uh, possibilities that they have and ways they can spend their evenings, you know, just to try to compete with that is harder and harder. So I think, the, you know, I mean, I guess one way to think of it, or one example is, you know, what are you going to do with a theater that seats 3,000 people? Maybe during a certain period, a certain era, you could fill that um, but maybe now we're moving towards something where there's, uh, you know, just like I was saying about the artists, where there's smaller venues and people come and they go and there and there's a, a little bit more of a, a, a more intimate kind of um, model that also has economic consequences. 
mm. makes it easier. You know, artists who don't have money are going to find ways to show what they do without having a stadium, basically, or an opera house to put it in. So it becomes more about the art rather than about the economy because you can't it can't sustain a big economy anymore but that doesn't necessarily I mean matter. you know the New York City Ballet seems to be doing fine but there's a lot of you know that's one company right and there's a, everybody's struggling i think so the question of what the models are you know the subscription model is broken everybody says because people don't want to plan in advance and you know book up their whole uh, fall with tickets that they're beholden to they want to be able to say okay I want to go to the. I want to go to the ballet tonight. Get a ticket now. Mm-hmm. So it makes it much harder for theaters to plan and to sort of know what they have and what they don't have. So I think people are are trying to sort of reinvent those forms and for today and figure out what's what's the way forward. And that's the challenge. Definitely so. Definitely so. And. I wanted to ask you something else about AI. You mentioned earlier a concern, that, unless I misunderstood you, you had a concern about how AI could negatively affect ballet or dance. No, no, I'm no? not negative about any of that because I feel like, you know, the world changes. And what dancers, dancers are, are absorbers. and they, they are absorbing their physical environment. And if AI starts to come in... I, I, I'm just interested to know what they'll do with it. Hmm. I mean, I'm not an artist, so I don't have any idea what they'll do with it. But they're the ones who are going to figure that out and show us. Yeah, well said. So, what do you what do you do with that? Right. So you get you're in a nice position. You get to sit back and wait to see what they come up with. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, It's great talking to you, Jennifer. And uh, I'm wondering, what is next for you? What kind of projects you work on? I mean, you have your regular constant work at NYU and at The New Yorker. Uh, Do you have any new books planned? Uh, Anything else that I would like to share? I'm thinking of something new, but I'm I'm not in a I'm not being coy. I just you know I have no way to talk about it yet. It's just a kind of. muddle of ideas in my head so i'll let you know when i figure it out i'd love that thank you <laughs> thank you and one final question for you um uh, but also if, if anybody wants to look and and you know uh, connect with your work uh i guess they they could just type in your name do you have a particular website people you'd like people to go to or anything like that um i have a um a, a website at nyu which is the it's a little bit long of a name but if you look up center for ballet and the arts at nyu you can find pretty much everything there um but yes the books are available readily available uh, under my name on you know at any bookstore or on amazon or wherever you shop for books and I look forward to reading some more of your pieces in The New Yorker. I'm a subscriber. I love it. Great magazine. Great work there, too. Thank you. Uh, I'm wondering, here's a tough question. I ask this to a lot of people. Uh, it's very open, and you know, I'm wondering what you're thinking. Maybe you'll find it easy. What, <laughs> what is the, the value and the importance of art to human society? There's a there's a a question that 
fills libraries, right? But <laughs> but but also one that has, um, in a way, also quite a simple answer. It's completely vital. I mean, we are who we are, partly because of the art we make and the art that artists make for those of us who are not artists. It, it not only expresses us, but it, it shapes us. And I think it's just one of the, you know, dance is one of the first arts and it is really, people have always danced and they always will dance. So it's, a, it's an essential part of life and it's an essential part of being human. Beautiful. Well said. Yeah, I, I I couldn't disagree with you, and I'm I'm so happy that we have a person such as yourself who helps guide a lot of folks who are interested through uh, dance at the least uh, with your experience and knowledge. So thank you for that, and and I, I look forward again to to reading some more of your critical reviews and and your books. Uh, Maybe we can have another chat on, on Troubadours and Rock on Tours if you have some time in the, in the not-too-distant future. That would be lovely. Thanks so much. Have a wonderful holiday season. And thank you very much for having me. Bye-bye now. Bye.
the tolls. Stone seashells situated sideways, succulently scuttled and befuddled at the riddle of a champion kismid sway. Just the right angle and pitch. She's a son of a beech nut flavored chewing gum in a silver shiny wrapper. Like Brother Slade, who I met downtown on Adams Avenue. Him and me, me and you, should go together and shoot some pool at that old place on the hill, Jake's Pool Hall.
And there you have it. Episode 550 of Troubadours and Rock-On Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. I'd like to thank those folks who made this episode possible. First and foremost, Jennifer Homans. And these musical artists, the Lonious Monk, the Mamas and the Papas, Igor Stravinsky, George Gershwin, the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra, Youth Lagoon, Branford Marsalis, and Terence Blanchard, too. And of course, I would like to thank you for listening. Until next time, let's give it a go and do our best with this time. Take care of yourself. <laughs>